that last name on the screen there is the reason why I sometimes get teary-eyed during worship, why I always get teary-eyed during baptisms, and why I get excited about a day like Easter Sunday, which we call Resurrection Day. It's because of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I remember a time before I was a follower of Jesus. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in church, and I didn't come up through the ranks like a lot of folks. And so when I got radically, radically turned around for God when I was 18 years of age, it was a massive shift for me. It changed everything. But one of the most beautiful pieces of all of that is that I realized this simple phrase is that there is no perfect people allowed. No perfect people allowed. Y'all don't know this, but I have an 18-year-old daughter. Some of you know Faith. Uh, her name was Rachel growing up, but about somewhere between her 8th and ninth grade school year, she decided to use her middle name instead of her first. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of y'all, but it threw our whole family for a you know, a loop because we're trying to, okay, is it Faith? Is it Rachel? Is it Faith? Is it, I'm just going to combine. I'm going to call her Fraithel. So, Fraithel Wraith is what I call her. So, Rachel Faith <laughs> combined. And so, we, we went with that. And here's the thing. To know her now, she's so calm. She's so chill. She's so relaxed. She's mellow. And just, just, the, just the poster child for awesomeness. However, the first 10, 11 years, she more resembled a kid named Damien in a series of movies that scared me to death when I was younger called The Omen. Remember that? She was that kid. I mean, hard, difficult. Uh, James Dobson, Dr. James Dobson, wrote a book about her called The Strong-Willed Child. I don't know if you've ever had that or not. And so that was our daughter. That was Faith. I mean, just, and she did the, you know, remember the old thing in school? Where if you were ever to just happen to be set on fire, you know, what did they say we're supposed to do? Three things. Stop, drop, and roll. Some of you remember it. Some of you need to review that. It could be very important. That could save your life. So she would do a stop, drop, and roll just to be emotional. She'd just throw a fit. So we call it back in West Texas, wall-eyed or conniption. So, I mean, it was either a wall-eyed fit or conniption fit. And she would literally stop, drop, and roll. And we tried everything. We tried spanking. We tried ignoring. We tried walking away. We tried everything. We read books. We got counsel. We prayed over the child. We thought, maybe she is Damien. Let's see if we can get... We, we were just like, this is crazy. And it was rough and hard. And I remember one day when she was in middle school, we were living in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We were helping plant a church. And we were, we were there, and, and she, we had gotten her in school. And it was one of those mornings. Annette, being the wise wife she was, she would not even get up until we were out the door because she knew it was going to be World War III from the moment I tried to wake Faith, Faith up. And so she'd just stay in bed, I think in the fetal position, probably just crying out to God. But, you know, let them leave, let them leave. So it was always rough in the mornings. So we got up one morning, stopped, drop, and roll in the kitchen. I wasn't up for it, so I just walked, stepped over her and kept doing what I was doing. And then the breakfast I made for her wasn't good enough and then couldn't find her books. I mean, it was just one of those mornings where I was getting pushed to the pressure point. Now, I don't know if we have any parents here, but... I don't know if that's ever happened to you, 
But I'm thankful that we have an invisible sign on the wall over there. You can look over there. It's not there yet, but we actually are having one made that says no perfect people allowed. We have it on the screen right now just for a visual aid. But I am glad that's the truth for me as a follower of Jesus. Because I got to tell you something. On that day, I blew perfection out the water. So while we're having this moment, we get in the car, we make the little drive to the school. Not only am I really upset with my daughter here because I was to the edge, but soccer moms were in full force that morning in their driving skills. And so I'm just like undone. And I finally, anybody ever heard of Chernobyl when you were growing up? the nuclear meltdown, nuclear facility in the Soviet Union. Or maybe you heard of Mount St. Helens. That was another piece of footage that's amazing to watch. That was me in that moment. I lost it. And I mean, I lost it ugly. And I'd been stuffing down and repressing my frustration. I'd been praying. I'd been trying to give it to God. And for whatever reason, that morning, I wasn't having it. And I blew and I spewed Toxic waste came out of my mouth in the form of words. And I said stuff to her I never thought I'd say to her. And when I got through with my 30-second rant of how angry I was and how done I was with her behavior, I sat there in my anger just for a minute, partly afraid to look over at her and partly because I was still mad. And then I glanced over there long enough to see her bottom lip quivering. And if we have any daddies with daughters, you know that's, it's over when that happens. You know what's coming next. It's like back pressure is building up on Hoover Dam, and it is about to break. And that is exactly what happened. She just started crying. First, it was a soft sob, and it wasn't a... I'm manipulating you, sob. It was I'm damaged, sob. And then it turned into a full-blown heave. And then it turned into a, you know, snot bubbles out the nose, ugly cry. And that's just me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That came later because as I was sitting there and she does that, I'm starting to think, I just blew perfection for my daughter. She thought I was the hero. She thought I was the, I was the biggest daddy ever, the best daddy ever, and now I just blew it. I blew perfection. And it's a good thing that no perfect people are allowed into the presence of God because I would be out the door after that moment. I thought to myself, I have scarred my daughter's tender psyche. Someday we will be on the Dr. Phil show together, having a chat in front of millions of people about how I scarred her for life. So time passes. I repented quickly. I'm hoping she's over it. But I'm telling you, a scar was left in me. And so we have not ever talked about that incident again And so we picked Faith up from the airport. She's been in London. She did a semester abroad in London. We picked her up on Friday to get her back home. And we get in the car, and I'm thinking, I'm going to tell the story on Sunday to illustrate Mr. Not Perfect. And so I asked her, I said, Faith, I have to ask you something. I said, remember that time when I just absolutely lost it, and I spewed poison out of my mouth, and I was driving you to school, and you had been a Really, it had been a rough morning, and you were, we were living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I just, I just, I said, you remember that? And she sat there for a second, and she said, no, I don't. 
I'm like, really? You don't remember that? He said, nope. I was like, thank you, Lord Jesus, for protecting my child because I remember it. I'll never forget it. The reason I tell you that story is because it's real easy to think that in order to get to God, in order to grow in God, in order to develop as a follower of Jesus, we got to have it all together. We got to be perfect. We got to make sure we don't make any mistakes because the Lord knows when he wrote in the Bible, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect or your father in heaven is perfect. We know that means we can never be that. And if that's the standard, if perfection is the standard, then frankly, I'm hopeless. And I've been a pastor for 35 years. And if I'm hopeless, how are you doing? How's it working for you? It was only after I went to school and studied that verse and realized in the Greek language, koine, the original Greek, it's an ancient form, that what that word perfect means is actually complete or whole. It doesn't mean perfect in the sense of sinless perfection. That scripture has been a downfall and a crusher for many people. In many churches, many denominations. He's not saying we have to be perfect. We have to be complete. And in Christ, we are complete, whole. And I had to learn that. I want, I've got good news for you today. By the way, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. I've got good news for you today. No perfect people allowed. And here's another good one. All are invited in. By the way, since we're on Greek lessons right now, you know what the word all means in Koine, the ancient Greek? Go for it. That is it. It literally means what it says. All are invited in. Jesus never put up a filter for somebody coming into his presence. And how I know that is because of the empty tomb. I want to share something with you from one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He wrote another book called The Signature of Jesus. And then he authored another book called Abba's Child, talking about his own understanding of sonship as a son of God, not a pawn, not a chess piece, not a computer running out of program but actually a son of God, a good father. And so he wrote these books. But you have to understand about Brennan, he was a Jesuit priest who had a terrible hidden addiction. He was an alcoholic. He had a disease. And in his diseased state, he lived a life of failure as a priest before God. He finally had an encounter with Jesus, not religion, but with Jesus. And it changed his life forever, at least on one level. Because what most people don't realize is at the end of the story is that it actually, his alcoholism actually killed him in the end. And in the meantime, in the in-between time, in Middle Earth where he lived in reality, he wrote many books and he spoke and did lectures and he was one of my favorite authors and I was so sad to hear about his, the end and how he deteriorated and fell back into alcoholism. For him, it was a lifelong disease. But you know what? I'm absolutely certain that man is playing before the presence of Jesus right now. And he has been welcomed in. And I have a feeling that Jesus has even said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. But you see, we have this image of God that he's somehow up there waiting for us to make a mistake. The reason I know this is because 
on Tuesday evening in my life group, we had about 12, 15 people there. We we're having a sweet, wonderful time. We were talking about the love and grace of God and how good God is and how good it is to be free in Jesus without this fear that I'm somehow not going to make it. I can't cut it. I'm not going to make it across the finish line. And one of the people in our group, which I'm, my mind is still blown over this statement, she said to me, she said, did you know I was raised in church? She said, I've been in church since I was a little kid. And she said, for the first time in my life, after coming here to Oak Hills Church and hearing you talk about the love of God, the grace of God, how God's a father, she says, the first time in my life I finally realized and finally, I don't believe this anymore, that I'm going to hell. This is somebody raised in church, trying to do the right thing, trying to live right for God, and yet in her mind, I'm not making it, I'm not cutting it, I'm a failure, I'm going to hell. Oh, it just broke my heart. And so this message today is for all of you who still struggle with wondering about that very thing. Am I going to hell? Am I going to make it? Am I good enough? Can I cut it? This is for you. The blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, this blood's for you. But I want you to know something. This resurrection's for you as well. Listen to what Brennan says. When I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. Anybody ever been there? I'm trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I am a rational animal. I say I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. This is a man being authentic and being honest about the life, the tension that he lives in as a follower of Jesus. Oh, that you and I would get this honest and this authentic. Amen? Listen to this. Early on the first day of the week, you have to realize Jesus had been put in a tomb. It was like an empty cave. This is after the cross, after he'd shed his blood, and after Peter had denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Now, let me ask a question for those of you who've been around. How many times did Jesus forgive Peter? Three times. So Peter failed three times. Jesus forgave and restored him three times to balance it out. Life was at equilibrium. However, the story and the account that we're about to read is in the in-between time. It's in Middle Earth. It's in the place where he was living, which is, in many cases, the places where we're living. And that is in the in-between. In other words, we're, we haven't arrived where we think and believe we're going, uh, but we're not where we used to be, praise God. So here we are living life in the in-between. That's exactly where Peter was when he enters into this crazy scene. Look what happens. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Do you know why the stone was removed from the entrance of the tomb? It wasn't so Jesus could get out. It was so you and I could get in. You need to understand something. The door to the tomb where Jesus was resurrected is open to you and me. It's so easy to think, why aren't there bars on there? Why was that stone? It should have been in place, but it was removed 
so we could get in. How do I know that? Because look who the first person into the presence of Jesus is after his resurrection. Let me just say this. He's not perfect. Listen to what's, how the story goes. In verse 2, so she, Mary, came running to Simon Peter. Remember Peter? Peter's the guy who walked on water for a step or two. And then he got afraid and he sank. Remember, he sucked water. Jesus grabbed him and they walked to the boat together. So kudos for Peter for walking on water, but it was fear that caused him to lose his security and he fell. It was also Peter who heard the words from Jesus after Peter said, no way are you going to wash my feet. Peter said, if I don't wash your feet, I'll have no part in you. And then he said, no way are you going to die on our behalf. And Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. That's Peter. Peter is go big or go home, Peter. Peter is all in. Peter has got hoof and mouth disease. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? That is Peter. All in, go big, and yet when he messes up, he messes up big. That's Peter. And so Peter, she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Don't you love John's love for himself? John's just like so self-assured. By the way, Peter, you're okay, but I'm the one Jesus loves, just so you know. So John's writing book, King Wrote It His Way. He says, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where. So Peter and the other disciple, remember the one that Jesus loved, started for the tomb. Both were running. You ever had friends that you grew up with and you're like, I'll race you to that car. I'll race you to that fence. I'll race you to that tree. And then off you're on. I mean, it's, it's on. Well, they take off running. Verse 4, both are running. But the other disciple, John, John's so proud of himself, he, he actually beat him to the tomb. He won the race. He's the disciple that Jesus loved, and he's number one. So look what happens. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John bends over, it says, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. What was he seeing? He was seeing the residue of the resurrection. Jesus had already been resurrected. He's standing there looking in and seeing that. We've been to that spot. It's a traditional spot. We don't know if for sure that's the tomb, but they say this is probably, most likely, the tomb where this happened. It's really just a very small little cave that's been hewn out of the rock. And then there's a stone table where they would lay the body and it was in that that they were looking in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, remember Simon Peter? Go big or go home. I'll walk on water. I'll never forsake you. I'll never betray you. Peter just doesn't even stop. He just goes right in. Then Simon Peter, who was right behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. So while John's checking it out, Peter just says, I'm in. He goes all in. He saw the strips. And then look at verse 6. Peter's behind me arrived, went in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up itself by itself and separate from the linen. There's a whole other beautiful thing around that, but we don't have time to cover that. And look what happens. Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, remember, I won, also went inside. He saw and he believed. So now Peter and John have entered into the tomb, but it was Peter first. And it was Peter who blew it the most, blew it the best, blew it the biggest, because he's go big or go home, Peter. And here he is. Talk about unholy. Talk about imperfect. 
And he's the first one to step onto the most holy soil that the earth has never known since the Garden of Eden. Why is that soil holy? Why is that place holy? Well, unlike where the cross happened upon Calvary, where blood was shed, and yes, it is finished to tell us die, it was actually consummated and finished in the resurrection in a tomb. And it was out of death that life, resurrection life came. We live because he died. And we live a resurrection life because he was resurrected. And it was on that ground, that holy sacred ground, that Peter stepped onto that soil. Not John, the one who he loved, who won the race. It was Peter, the mess up. Peter, the big mouth. Peter, the over the top. Peter, the prideful. It was Peter who went in. And who was in the presence of Jesus first. You know what that does for me? And I wrote this here. There might as well have been a sign on the door of the tomb that said, no perfect people allowed. You know what that is for you and me? That's really, really good news. Because it would have been really scary if there was a guard at the door saying, wait a minute, have you been ceremonially cleansed? Have you washed yourself? Do you pray the Ten Commandments? Have you memorized Scripture? Do you have a perfect Sunday school attendance pen? Do you sing in the choir? Do you serve? Do you, I mean, if there would have been this litany or list, not a one of us would have ever made it. But Peter, the biggest mess up, ends up in the presence of Jesus first and foremost. The good news is that all are invited in. Number one, just writing things down or just notes. Here it is. All are invited to the party. Look, we know God loves a good party, and here's why. Not because he's a party animal. It's because he loves relationship. The very reason you and I were created was for a relationship with God. He created us to connect. He created us to walk with him. It was in the garden. We learned this when we did our purple book study as we're going through on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Shameless plug. Come see us. It's an awesome study we're going through right now. And we learned that as they walked in the garden together, they fellowshiped. They related. They enjoyed relationship. God loves a good party, and you're all invited to it. In fact, there's a parable about it. Luke chapter 14. Listen to this. Jesus tells a parable about a party that some people are invited to. See if you relate to any of this. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Sounds kind of like God. Hey, we're going to have the, 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 the supper, the wedding feast. We're going to all come together and we're going to sup together and have a great time. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. You get the picture? He's got it already ready, and he's saying, all right, come go get them. Verse 18, but they all alike begin to make excuses. Uh-oh. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought, my, bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come home. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Let me tell you the heart of God. He will go with the goers. 
He will go with the goers. If you reject, if you say no, he will just keep going because he's looking for those that he can fellowship with, those that he can relate with, those that he can connect with, those that he can do life with. And in this case, in this setting, it's, it's this idea of the religious right in the sense that they were so religious and so that they didn't have time to meet with him. And so he goes to, look who he goes to, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Remember, no perfect people allowed. All are invited in. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. You know what God loves? He loves a full room. You may not know this, but about every, well, we had to add seats in the second service because it was packed in here. And I thought, oh, God would love hanging out here. This is a full room. Sir, the servant said, and he says, there's still room. Then the master told his servant, verse 23, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. Another translation says, compel them to come in. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Luke 14, 24. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know what I love about this? Is that it's the idea of all. It's the idea of whosoever. Look in verse uh, 13 of Romans chapter 10. Next verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what I'm thankful for? Is that every person who was baptized this morning in both services, they are in all they are a whosoever. And you know what? So are you. So am I. I'm an all. I'm a whosoever. Nothing holding me out. There's no filter. There's no bars. There's no stone rolled across the entrance. The door is wide open. But it's so easy to think that we're not good enough. We can't make it. Number two, come as you are. Come as you are. You know what I love about a church like Oak Hills is that I can come as I am. Sometimes Annette says, you need to come a little bit higher. You need to up your game. It's, that's not going to cut it. So she helps me with that, thank goodness. But it's a come as you are kind of thing where you can come into the presence of God just as you are. But we think we've got to fix ourselves and get it all together before we can be with him. You know, many in the church through the years, you got to understand, I did not grow up in church. So when I jumped into church at 18 years of age, I stepped onto the lunar landscape. It was another planet from my life. It, I might as well have been stepping into France where they speak a different language or Uruguay or somewhere else that I had never been because it was a foreign country for me. And so I had no filters, no preconceptions, no ideas. I didn't know that you weren't supposed to sit on the front row. I didn't know. No, I'm just messing with you, Dustin, over there. I didn't know that, uh, that you're supposed to wear a certain kind of clothes. I mean, I was wearing my, my rock T-shirts, and I had a great mullet going. I mean, I was just stepping in. I came as I was. And guess what? People lovingly begin to help me with my dress and my hair. I was a rock guitar player in a band at the time. So, so it was like I, I was all of the things they weren't. So they began to help me by, you know, suggesting I should probably cut my hair and probably not wear those T-shirts anymore. And there were others who came around me and loved me well. But there were some that had a hard time with me because they didn't understand that no perfect people are allowed 
And they didn't understand that all are welcome in. All are invited. And you know what? They meant well. They didn't scar me. I didn't get mad at them. I didn't quit the church because I, I understood. I got it. I didn't, I didn't look like them, talk like them. I was a little edgy. Just a little. Come as you are. Have you ever said this? I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'll never measure up. I won't make it. Or like one precious person who told us on Tuesday night in our life group, I thought I was going to hell as an adult. I lived my life with that thought. Oh, my heart just broke for her. It makes me wonder how many people that have been here today still live with that fear, still live with that concern. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm probably going to go to hell. I don't think I'm good enough for God. Whew. Hopefully today is going to be good news for you that no perfect people are allowed. Jesus said this, Come to me all, there's that word again, all, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know why we're supposed to take his yoke? Is because we're not even supposed to be bearing one. He says, take it, but we're taking our yoke and it's weighing us down, it's crushing us, and we're, we're stumbling under the weight of our own yoke, our own rules, our own laws. And he says, look, let me give you mine because where mine is, there's freedom. Where mine is, it's easy and it's light. I don't know about the Jesus you follow, but the one I follow, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's why I laugh. That's why I cut up. That's why I tell really dumb jokes sometimes. That's why my daughter and I send funny memes to each other because I have joy because I get it. It is light and it is easy. That doesn't mean life is always light and easy, but my walk with him is that no matter how hard this thing gets, no matter how messed up life is, I can go to him and I can laugh and have joy. And I can play like a kid in the presence of my loving good father. I hope that's the Jesus you're following. I hope that's the God that sits on the throne of your life. Not an ogre, not a mean old man, not a grumpy old Grinch. Not an ogre, but a good father. I hope that's who you're following. Listen to this. Philippians 1.6. The theme of this is that God finishes what he starts. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He finishes what he starts. Last thing, we'll close with this. God works from the inside out. But the sad thing is that we have the cart before the horse, and we flip the script where we're always trying to fix things from the outside in. You know what that's called? That's, that's false. That's self-righteousness. It's a false holiness. It's where if I just live right, then everything will work right, and it doesn't work. How's that working out for you? It doesn't work that way. God wants to take you meet you where you are, and walk with you on this journey step by step for the rest of your life. It's called sanctification. It means that you're progressively growing, progressively maturing day by day, week by week, month by month. You're getting better. You're growing. But it's an ongoing journey. 
what we think is that we step over the line, we take the first step on the trailhead, and we think we've already reached the summit of Mount Everest. And that's what it's like. It's like climbing a mountain. You don't reach the summit in a day. You just step onto the trailhead, and that's really what he's asking from us. Listen to this in Romans 12, 1. May be familiar. So, brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him. Now, look at verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not be shaped, another word is conformed, to this world or by this world. Instead, look at this, be changed within by a new way of thinking. It's the renewing of the mind that as our mind shifts and we now have a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, a new way of perceiving, it actually begins to work itself outside of us. But it starts in here, in the core, in the heart, in your knower, it's where you know in your knower the goodness of God, no matter what the circumstances are. But because I'm thinking right, things will begin to come out right. And it just takes time. It's an ongoing journey. Health begins inside, not outside. It doesn't begin by just going to the gym and trying to work out and pump iron. It begins by eating properly and beginning to get your insides healthy. And it begins to work itself out changed from within by a new way of thinking. I want to encourage you in this. God wants to change you from the inside out, not the outside in. Some of you have been trying to fix it, and you got it backwards, and it's wearing you out. And then maybe like that precious lady in our life group, you think, I'll never cut it because I can't get it right. Well, here's the good news. You're right. You can't get it right. Not on your own. Not carrying your own yoke. It's his to bear, not yours. The stone was rolled away for you. Peter, we are Peter. You're Peter. I'm Peter. Go big or go home. Foot and mouth. <laughs> Say it. Spill it. Spray it. Show up and throw up. That's Peter. But it's you and me too. And what I love about that story is that he was the first one in the presence of Jesus. No perfect people allowed. All are invited in. That includes you. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes? Father, thank you for the celebration of Easter, but even more for the celebration of resurrection life. The fact that Jesus resurrected, raised from the dead, gives us hope that we too will be raised with him, raised to walk in newness of life. I pray for my friends here. And Father, if there's anybody here who has not gone all in, not stepped over the line, not taken that first step on the trailhead, that today would be that day. Why not here? Why not now? Why not today? So with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, if you're here this morning and you're ready to take that step, we're not going to have you come forward in front of everybody, but we are going to have some prayer team members up here after the service. They're just going to be standing up here waiting. If anybody needs prayer, if anybody wants to take that first step onto the journey, wants to go all in and say, I'm in, I'm ready to take this step, 
then they're here for you and they will help you take that step. They'll be right up here after we close. So Father, I pray for my friends that Lord, the lid of limitations will be lifted off their lives today. You will give them great grace and courage to step forward. We honor you, we love you, and we celebrate this truth that no perfect people are allowed. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for being here with us today. Enjoy the rest of this beautiful weekend.